Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. <clears throat> For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. <clears throat> if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that has been born concerning his Son. Whoever believes is the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave his eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. <clears throat> there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Wes. Good morning, Generation Church. How's everybody doing? Man, I'm so glad to be here as we are nearing uh, Christmas, and we've been going through this book, this letter, 1 John, and now we're reaching the last chapter, and we get to kind of hear it all over again, right? Because we've been seeing over the last few weeks how this letter, John just kind of keeps on coming back to these ideas, um, but I think it's a great reminder for us. What you have just heard are really the concluding words of the Apostle John. Now, let me remind you a little bit about who John is. He was in Jesus' inner circle. 
Like we get to hear the words of someone that was not only a witness of Jesus, but was in his inner circle. He got to see things that even uh, the other 12 disciples didn't. And so uh, he was there at the transfiguration, right? When, when, when God, God talks to uh, Jesus and, and there's present there, um, there he's, he's there like being transfigured and they see, wow, this truly is the son of God. And so he sees that John is witness of that, that John is a witness of uh, the moment when Jesus is praying to the father, asking that, um, that maybe this weight be lifted off of him at the garden of Gethsemane. And he's there, he's one of the disciples falling asleep um, and not able to stay up, uh, but he's there hearing Jesus and uh, encouraging him to pray. Uh, uh, John is also one of the only disciples that's there at the crucifixion because we know that all the disciples left and fled and they weren't there at the scene, but John was there with Mary, mother of Jesus, right there looking at Jesus. And Jesus even utters a word to, uh, to John saying, take care of this, this is now your mother. And so we see that John is so close to Jesus, he even calls himself the apostle that Jesus loved. And he doesn't do this in kind of a, like a prideful way. He does this because he realizes how far away he is from God and what mercy he's been given, what grace he's been given that, man, I am loved by Jesus. And that's how he pegs himself, not wanting to even put his name out there. John starts out as the son of thunder in his youth. Right? He, call, he wants to call fire down from heaven to, 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 to bring condemnation on, on cities. And now, in his old age, he is the apostle of love. And so we've got to really be able to hear uh, his words and the, and the terms that he uses, my dear beloved ones. Right? There's a real tenderness to how he is talking. Now, he, we, we know that this is really one of his last letters. It, I don't know if you knew this. It's actually written after Revelation. Shortly after the book of Revelation, John writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. And the purpose of this letter is to reassure the Christians there um, of their faith and warn them about a, a heresy that was going around called Gnosticism. So just a reminder again for those who've been here with us for a few weeks now, what is Gnosticism? It was basically this belief that the material world is evil and the spiritual world is good and the problem with that, there was great danger in believing that because there was a moral danger that meant that, well, since, since the material world is evil, you know, it's undeniable, well, then I can kind of do what I want with my body. It doesn't matter, which would result in a lot of sin within this train of thought and adultery is okay and murder is okay because it doesn't matter what the body does. There was also a theological danger that was, that was expressed that um, people would then deny that Jesus actually had a physical body, which is why G, uh, John then says right from the get-go in his letter, he's wanting to establish the fact that he is a witness of Jesus, and Jesus was indeed flesh and blood. Look at the, the senses that are used here right from verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So John is wanting to establish Jesus uh, as, as truly man and also truly God. And we're going to see this especially in chapter 5. Now the letter is difficult to outline and even this chapter was a little bit. Because again there's this spiral effect throughout, throughout the letter where these same ideas and these same terms are, are coming. But they come from different angles. And so if we pay attention you might think, well, I have already heard that, but actually look a little deeper because it's a spiral and it intensifies over time. In fact, by the time we reach chapter five, we've been hearing over and over this phrase that you may know. And by chapter five, over eight times, there's like a crescendo in this chapter that you may know, that you may know. And so my title for this message this morning is you can know. 
Hopefully by the end of this chapter, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, as we talk about this word to know, uh, pay attention to the fact that it's talking about a fact of progressively know in our walk in faith. There's a progression. Also, that behind this idea of knowledge is this idea of intimacy. It's a knowledge where I, it's not just I know with my head, but I know with my heart. So you can know that you are born of God. Wouldn't that be great to be able to leave here and be able to say, man, I, no doubts whatsoever. And maybe there's some here that can say that today, and that's awesome. But maybe there's some here or some listening online, and maybe you're not quite sure. And throughout these few weeks, we've been talking about that. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Well, I'm wanting to declare this morning, you can know. Now, there is such a thing as false assurance. I'm reminded of this kind of humorous story, because it's fictional, uh, of a pilot, a professor, a pastor, and a hiker, and they're in a small plane, and the engines die. And so at this point, they're all panicking. The pilot announces, listen, I'm sorry, there's four of us I know. I only have three parachutes. It's my plane. See ya. He takes one. There's only two left. So now uh, the, the professor, he jumps up and says, guys, listen, I'm brilliant. The world needs me. I'm taking one too. And he jumps out. The pastor and the hiker, they're the only ones left. And the pastor looks at the hiker and says, listen, man, I, I think you should take it. To which the hiker replies, no, man, we're good. There's still two left. The professor jumped with my backpack. We're good to go. <laughs> so the reason I share this story is because the professor's assurance was based on faulty thinking. In other words, you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincerely wrong, resulting in an unlucky landing for this guy, but for us, in the same way, we can have a faulty thinking because we think we're saved. I've seen it so many times where people said the prayer of faith, but then you see it in their life throughout the, throughout the years that go that there was no real belief. And so today I want to establish this fact. There is a faulty view of salvation. It's not because you were born in a Christian home. It's not because your dad was a pastor it's not because you attend church. It's not because you even tithe. It's not because you've been baptized. It's not good enough. No. And John actually addresses this in his gospel in the first chapter. I want you to see this, verse 12 and 13. He says, but to all who did receive him, this is how simple it is, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, now watch this, not of blood, this isn't an inheritance. My parents believe, therefore I believe. Nor of the will of the flesh. It's not anything that I've done. So it's not something that I merit either. Nor of the will of man. It's not anything that anyone else has done for me, but only of God. So I repeat, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born of God. You can be sure you are born of God. That's the good news I have for you this morning. You can know. And so we reached this chapter five, which has been kind of the key verse. Verse 13 has been our key verse for this whole series. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that is my prayer for you. In fact, I want to take time to pray right now. Lord, thank you right now as we dig into your word even more. Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would convict us, enlighten us, and, and show us, Lord, your truth in these passages. As we read on the front end, maybe it, it seemed a little confusing. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that all distractions would be out, and we can really dig in, and we can leave this place. If there were any doubt, we can leave this place with great assurance this morning. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So how do you know? Two things. It's on your outlines. First, by the evidence of your faith. It's actually interesting that John starts in chapter 5 by talking about the evidence, but you got to understand it's the conclusion of his letter, so he's finishing chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so chapter 5, the first few verses, kind of continues off of that idea of chapter 4. So we read verse 1. Everyone who believes, now the Amplified Version actually adds to this, in other words, a deep abiding trust. Okay, so it's not just believe once. I said the prayer once years and years ago. You know, it's, it's much more than that. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, spiritually renewed. And everyone who loves the Father, here's the evidence, loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Each time he's adding another piece of evidence. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So we have love for God, love for uh, specifically God's children and obeying his commandments. This is the evidence. Love and obedience are the indicators that we are born of God through faith because we believed, okay? So what, what love are we talking about? We're talking about the love for God and for his children. Like I said, we've already talked about this in chapters three and chapters four. So uh, we're going to move on. And what I want to pay attention to is how there's the link between love and obedience. Love and obeying God's commands. You know, a lot of times that seems in this world kind of doesn't go together. You know, if you talk long enough, you know, you hear really people on the spectrum of love or the spectrum of obeying God's commands. And they don't understand that it's actually one and the same. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? When, when Jesus said, when, when, when the man came to him and said, like, how can I obey your commands? He said, this is the sum of the law. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. You go back to the Ten Commandments, that's exactly what it is too. The first four, it's all about how you love God. And the last six of the Ten Commandments is how you love your neighbor. And so love and commands go together. So when someone says, well, no, you don't really show love in the church because you're, not, you're saying that we can't do this or this or that. No, I'm just showing you that you don't understand. Your view of love is perverted. Your view of living your life is perverted. God has wanted since the beginning to bring you together into his love and understand what is pure love, what is the right way of living. And so love is how you actually fulfill the law. And so I believe that there should be truth in love and that there should be love in truth. They are inseparable. And then he goes on to say his commands are not burdensome, by the way. Listen, if you are born of God, you're not going to want to disobey God's law, which is the equivalence of sin. You're not going to want to sin. And you're going to be able to understand that sin is not love, loving your neighbor. Allowing sin is not loving your neighbor. If we love God, we will want to obey. John has in mind the words of Jesus, I believe, when Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Remember that? If you love me, you will obey my commands. He's not saying, listen, you love me, so you have to obey. He's giving us a secret. He's saying, hey, listen, if you truly love me, guess what? You'll have the power in you to want to obey my commands. And so his commands are not a burden, but an opportunity to show our love to God through our love to others. So how do you know? Here John starts by pointing to the evidence, the evidence of love and obedience. But this is really the crux of my message here in the second part. How do you know? How can you be sure? By the essence of your faith. This is verses four through verse 10. Because the thing is, is that if you talk with people long enough, if you listen to people on TV after they, you know, 
scored a touchdown or, uh, you know, or something like that, you know, and right away, it's like, yeah, no, it's because I believe. You know, I have faith. Yeah, I'm a believer. In what? In who? Right, because that's, that's the problem here is that there's a lot of people that believe. <laughs> there's even that, that show right now, the TV show, I Believe in Believe. No, like you gotta know who you are believing in. And that's what John is talking about here. We read in verse four. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Flashback to chapter two, overcoming the world. What is the world? The lust of the flesh, right? This, this is our, our misguided passions. The lust of the eyes, it's our, 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 our wants and our possessions, right? Or the pride of life, it's our desire for position. These are things that the world goes after, we do not. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, we read on, our faith. Again, not just a one-time profession, our faith. In other words, a continuing, persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Now there's, there's an added element here. It's not just about believing. So John lands the plane here when he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes? Period. Is that what it says? No. Except the one who believes that... Jesus is the Son of God. That is the truth. If there's one phrase that you can write down from this whole message, and especially regarding this part, it would be this. Listen, saving faith knows the real Jesus. Saving faith knows the real Jesus. Again, remember, John is talking to this group of Christians that are really confused by this train of thought of Gnosticism. There was a man at the time, John's arch enemy, Serenthus, who actually denied the deity of Jesus and declared it. Guess what? Nothing's new under the sun. Even to this day, there are heresies, Christian heresies, and there are religions in this world that will say yes all day to Jesus, but then you realize it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Let me show you. Uh, If you were to talk to a Mormon, talk long enough and you realize that he sees Jesus as the brother of Lucifer. When you look deeper, you find out that actually Jesus was never divine. He became divine and was then attributed this planet to be a god over this planet. That if you two are good enough, you two could be a god of your own planet. That's not the Jesus I know. Jehovah's Witness. John chapter 1 verse 1. My Bible says, and the word was God. They're going to see it as, and the word was a God. They see Jesus as not being co-eternal with God. And they see him as just a created being. That's high up there, but not God. Or what about if you talk to a Muslim? Do you know that Muslim actually sees Jesus very highly, has a very high regard of Jesus, one of the highest prophets, right? They they even go on to believe something that's a miracle of the virgin birth. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe this. They, They know this to be true. And they, they consider, the Quran will tell you that Jesus is the highest prophet next to Muhammad, of course. But if a Muslim were to choose to believe that Jesus is the son of God, now that's heresy and it could result in a beheading. And so if that's not enough, though, then there's the subtle Jesuses that are kind of sprayed here and there, right? It's our, it's our version, our, our cookie cutter version of Jesus that we uh, apply and kind of believe for ourselves because it's comfortable to us. There's the cookie cutter Jesus we come up with by selecting only certain passages of the Bible, ignoring the more controversial ones. What ends up happening, we make, we make Jesus into our own liking. We make an idol out of Jesus. We make an idol 
in our own image when the opposite is what it should be, that we were created in the image of God. So yes, knowing the real Jesus is crucial. And so John, in this context, is speaking to the present heresy and is revealing the real Jesus as being the Son of God because they did not believe that. And so he's wanting to show this. And so now he uses three witnesses. Now this is where it got lost for me a little bit and I had to dig in a little deeper. And probably the same thing for you as you were reading. Let's read verse six. It says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies. Here's the third witness. Because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. All right, so what is this water and blood thing? And there's uh, all throughout history, there's been all kinds of kind of trains of thoughts of what it could mean. And I'm not going to kind of give you all those details because of lack of time. But I will say this, most everybody will then agree on this. And so this is what I also firmly believe that the water and the blood here is referring to two instances. Jesus's baptism and Jesus's crucifixion. That's what he's referring to. And the reason I can believe that is because, again, context. John is talking to a people that have heard this Gnostic belief that the Spirit had come on Jesus at baptism and left Jesus right before crucifixion. Now, this is really, would be really horrible if this were true. Why? Because only God could die for the sins of this world. And so if the Spirit left and it was just Jesus, a man that died, what are we doing here, right? So it's so important to believe that no, that the, that the Holy Spirit was in Jesus all throughout because Jesus is the Son of God. One, one way I like to describe this in, in explaining that it is so important that we believe that, that only Jesus as Son of God could have died for the sins of this world is when you consider all throughout the history, even in, in the Bible, where God is always offering his hand to man. He has this alliance, this covenant that he wants to give to man throughout all of history. Does it with Abraham, does it with Noah, right? And every time that he hands it, man hands, holds it for a while and then drops it. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin, he drops it each time. And each time, God offers another covenant, another covenant. And each time, man fails at every turn. So what does God do? He sends himself. He sends his only son. The only way to uphold the covenant on the other side of the chasm is for God the Son to come on the other side and hold the alliance with God the Father. And whoever believes in the Son of God is saved, has uphold, can uphold the alliance, the covenant. That picture has always encouraged me to understand what it means. And so John is insisting here, not by water only, the Son of God was also there on the cross and he rose again and he is seated at the right hand of the Father to this day. Jesus was the Son of God at baptism and on the cross. And all throughout, there's this third witness, the Holy Spirit that is, has been the witness from the beginning, Genesis 1, to then when, when there in Jesus' ministry and on through the death and the resurrection and then Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to each believer. And so he is the one that is attesting in us that we are his children as he cries in and through us, Abba, Father. 
And so I'm, I'm looking at all this and I'm, I'm, I'm meditating on all this. And just this last Friday, two, two, two days ago, I, I woke up and I was like, man, you know, I'd like, I'd like a little bit more, God. I'm talking to God. I'm saying, I'd, like to, I'd like to understand a little bit more this water and, and the blood. And so I asked God to, to help me understand. And, and I think he gave me something. And I was so excited that I, I decided to share this information I'm about to share with you. I decided to share it with my, with my wife uh, right, right at that moment, Friday morning, getting the kids ready for school. You can imagine uh, what happened in that instance, right? So uh, I, I'm sitting her down. You know, she's very nice. She sits down and she listens to me and I start to explain what I'm about to share with you. And as I'm talking, I can see just her eyes kind of glaze over. And I'm like, whoa, I'm losing her big time. And so then she just looks at me truthfully and says, so I say, what do you think, hon? She's like, wow, Brian, 7 a.m. 7 a.m. And by the way, and by the way, I, I just talked to your son if you want to deal with him because uh, he just informed me right now that he's packing his bags because, you know, he didn't get a snack and he's on his way. He's going to move from here. So there's that, right? So after a, a good laugh, uh, I realized, you know what, I, I need to sometimes just come back to earth and help my wife in the little practical things and then, you know, come back to this. So, but I think this is a good time now. This morning, we're all seated. We're all attentive, right? So hopefully there will not be any distractions. Um, so I'm going to share with you, and hopefully your eyes won't glaze over, right? Um, but this was just so, so, um, so good for me to, as I was seeing this, I was like, man, thank you, God. This is what I, what I needed. Because what, what the Holy Spirit did, remember this third witness, the Holy Spirit just said, you know what? Look to those two instances, the water and the blood. It's like, oh, yeah. So I started thinking about it, and I realized, wow, those two instances, Jesus is declared as the Son of God. So, so check this with me. I thought this was really interesting. We read in, uh, so first, Jesus' baptism. And what better witness than God himself? So Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Then we go on, so that's what happens at, at the water baptism. Then we see the crucifixion. And I thought about that, I was like, okay, what about this? Where is the Son of God mentioned? And I realized, well, first of all, he's talking to his Father, right? When he's on that cross, there's seven words. And the first word and the last word, he's talking to his Father. First, he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then the last words he utters before breathing his last, he says in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I was like, wow, there, there's proof again. John is pointing us to these two instances. The Holy Spirit is pointing us to these two instances to confirm in us, to give us that assurance. Believe in Jesus as the Son of God because that is how you get assurance. And then as I thought about that story, I was like, wait a minute, there's another instance too. And I read on in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 15, verse 37. And this time it's a witness. Uh, it's not God as witness. It's, it's a you and me witness. It's flesh and blood talking. It's a human acknowledging Jesus as the son of God. Watch this. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, flesh and blood, right? When the centurion who stood facing, facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And so hopefully your eyes didn't glaze over, but hopefully maybe there's even like some kind of like, wow, this is amazing. Like what, what the Holy Spirit is doing is pointing to those two instances so that we can have even more assurance that Jesus truly is the son of God, pointing to that. 
And why is that important? Because that's the essence of our faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing in the real Jesus, because saving faith is believing in the real Jesus. And because when you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you get assurance. And so as John continues and he's closing his letter, he now gives three assurances, and that's what we're going to look at now. Verse 11, the first assurance is the greatest assurance of all, the one that you could probably uh, say for me, right? It's eternal life. What we get, here is what we get when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. When we are born of God, we get eternal life. Watch this. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we finally reached the whole purpose statement of this whole letter, verse 13, right? Well, let me, let me go over it again. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I think it's important to see that he uses that word. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? But also, what does it mean to believe in the name of the Son of God? It's believing in who he is, but also believing in everything that he represents, all that Jesus Christ is and all that Jesus Christ has done. That's what it means to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and believe in his name. And when you do that, that you may know with settled and absolute certainty that you, watch the present tense, that you have eternal life. One could say that you already have eternal life from the moment that you surrender to Jesus, and that you are born of God, a new creation, you become an eternal creation. From that moment on, eternal life starts now. You become a new creation. Once you are truly born of God, you get eternal life forever. So eternal. I, I looked up that word. It's the Greek word ionios. Now that word, you know, if you think of eternal, if you know, maybe you watch some movies or some series and you have these people who like live on forever, you know, or whatever, and, and they, they see it more as a curse, right? It's an intolerable burden to live forever while everybody else just keeps on dying, right? So that's not the term here. This, this word, ionios, can only describe one person. It's God. It's the, it's the life of God. See, eternal life that we get is nothing less than the life of God himself, and this is where I get excited, because what a gift that you have the life of God himself in you. What a gift for now. Because what is in God? In God, there's peace. In other words, a life free from fears, starting now, if you would just claim it. In God, there's power, a life of victory over your circumstances. In God, there's holiness, a life in pursuit of purity because of Christ's defeat of sin. In God, there's love, that you can live a life where it's the end of bitterness and hatred. In God, there is eternal life, starting now. And with this paragraph, the letter proper, I believe, comes to an end. And what follows is more like a postscriptum. Like, really, man, you want the bottom line is this. Like, you get eternal life. But hey, by the way, you're still on this journey. And so here's a couple other things that are benefits for you because you believe. And it, what it shows here is that we get, P.S., you also get answered prayer. 
That's what he's saying. Verse 14 and 15. Now, um, I think it was, it's really appropriate even to talk about that now because we're about to go into a, a time of prayer and fasting as a church in January. You know, after we've eaten all the Christmas goodies, uh, we're going to put that aside, give our first of the year to God. And it's going to be an awesome time like we've been doing uh, year after year. And I believe that there's going to be answered prayer. And I believe that there's going to be uh, just blessing as we just obediently uh, do this. But we decided uh, as pastors that we wanted to also um, associate that with uh, a series that we're going to do uh, based on the Psalms, the Psalm of Ascent. And the Psalm of Ascent is really uh, the, 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 the Hebrews, when they would go to Jerusalem, they'd go through all these mountains and they had to reach a destination, the destination that they always wanted and they would sing these songs. And so we're going to look at these and almost see it as ourselves being pilgrims on this earth, on our way to heaven. Like this is the things that we can believe for uh, in God. And so as we journey up, that's the name of the, of the series, as we journey up, man, we're going to also take time and pray and fast. As a church, I want you to, to let you know even now that uh, we'll be meeting from Monday to Friday, 6.15 to 7.15 on the third floor. We're going to make it look really, really nice and just pray together as a church and believe if you can't make it, we'll have something online for you. But just pray with us because, man, that is what we get as believers, believers born of God. We get answered prayer. So let's take advantage of this. We read, look, look at the assurance in John's feeble voice right at his age. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And we get answered prayer. And we get answered prayer because of our position as child of the king. We have access to the throne of God. We can come boldly in assurance and ask ask something of God, but also because we understand something about God. And, and it says it here in this passage, like when we ask, it's rooted in praying according to God's will. And so even as we have this time of prayer and fasting, as you start thinking about what you'd like to believe for, let me, let me just uh, challenge you with this. Maybe, maybe make sure you ask this also. Say, what possible reason do I have to think that God will answer this particular prayer? Now, if you can uh, basically answer that question from God's word, basically say, well, God's word says this, this, and that. So I'm believing for this, this, and that. It very is, well as possible that you are praying according to God's will, and you can be sure that he will hear you and he will answer you. Now, disclaimer, his answer sometimes isn't the answer we expect. He answers with yes, no, and maybe. We'll see later. But what you can know for sure, rooted in your relationship as child of the king, that his answer is the best possible answer for you, and you can trust him for that. So, man, you get eternal life. You get answered prayer. Here's another thing, P.S., by the way. Here's one more thing I want to leave you before I, I head out, guys. He says, you get on this journey an unattachment to evil. Read with me in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We've established over the last few weeks that basically it means does not make a practice of sinning, that sinning is not a lifestyle, right? But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So I say unattachment to evil because when you think of touch, you say, well, the evil one does not touch him, does, you know, does not brush, brush beside him. No, 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 this word to touch is to attach oneself to. Right, to cling to. Evil cannot cling to the person who is born of God. Come on, someone, right? That's encouraging that evil cannot cling to. John is saying that Satan cannot attach himself to the one who is born of God. 
Whereas the devil may be like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, he is attached. He's the one that is attached and he cannot attach himself to you as you can walk boldly in your position of child of God. You do not have to be afraid. So what is evil? Usually it's attached to sin, the disobedience to God. Are you saying that, that we never sin? No, again, we talked about that over the last few weeks, that yes, believers do sin and we should never deny it. In fact, it is our strength to not deny it, to actually admit it and to confess it. The reality is if you are born of God and you do sin at a point, man, you regret it instantly. And what a believer will do is go right into the light and let that light expose sin and come into the presence of God. Not be afraid. The Bible says that those who are in Christ, um, they are not condemned, right? And so we can advance with assurance. Let it expose our sin and confess our sins and know that we are forgiven. Believers sin, but not persistently. In other words, they are not overcome by the sin. They are overcomers of the world, Faith that overcomes the world is faith in the one that is greater than he that is in the world. And so Jesus, when he prays that prayer in John 17, and John is the one that's the witness to that, right? Remember that he he prays something. He says, I pray for these that you've given me and for those that will believe through these. So he's also praying for us by extension, right? And what he is praying is this, and this is so uh, beautiful for us to hear, is that he is saying, I pray that I will not lose one of those that are mine. And I believe that that prayer is continuing as he is interceding at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. If you are born of God, you can have the assurance that you are his forever. And you'll see it by the evidence in your life. You're going to love God. You're going to love his children. And you're going to want to obey him. And you will live the life proof of salvation. And you are protected. So those are the three assurances that we get. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. So hopefully by now, we've been able to, over the last few weeks, answer that question, are you sure? Hopefully by now, the time is guessing, of guessing is done. At any rate, that's what I think John believes as he finishes his letter, as we read in verse 20. Now watch again the crescendo of the we knows. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. This is Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. Wow. So how do we respond to this, right? What would be John's last words? In 1 John chapter 5, what would be his last words as he closes this letter? It's not what you'd expect. You'd expect him to kind of go over everything he's talked about. You'd expect him to maybe say some other incredible thing. I was really surprised when I saw for the first time how this ended. This is his last words. You ready for this? So little children, with all this, keep yourselves from idols. I was like, what else does he say? It just ends like that. And I think it's actually very appropriate. Because though it may seem strange at first, strange way to end a letter, he doesn't say, you know, love you guys, you know, say hi to so-and-so, you know, like, oh, like, like, like Paul does. No, just stay away from idols. When you realize the context of this whole letter, he's been spending this whole letter warning the Christians against this counterfeit Jesus. I feel like it's actually a very appropriate way to end. And a great way for us to answer kind of the calling after hearing everything we've heard. Like, this is how we can uh, move forward, is to 
really stay away, keep ourselves away from idols. So what are the idols? Well, in, the t- in that time, it was the obvious statues that, you, that people would even prostitute themselves before. This, this is a very obvious way of looking at idols. There's also a more subtle way of looking at idols, things that we probably experience we don't even realize that are idols in our life. A good way that I would define an idol is just simply this, a God substitute. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. If God is not first in your life, what is, determine what that is, and determine and understand that is an idol. And John is saying, keep yourself away from idols. That's the advice that he's given us. And I think we should take heed. Why? Because if we um, do not get rid or keep ourselves away from these God substitutes, what it does is it hinders us from having a real relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters. And that's what John has been talking about all along in this letter. And so the encouragement for us is to get rid of the God substitutes. One way I like to say it is, like, who is on the throne of your heart? What is on the throne of your heart? It can be a thing. It can be a person. It can be yourself, even. And you need to make sure and dethrone whatever that is. In fact, again, that's why fasting is such a good thing. Because what you're doing, check this out, you're dethroning King's stomach. And it seems kind of weird, right? Like, why are you dethroning? Why, why would that be so important to dethrone King's stomach? Because... Stomach is the king of the flesh, and then there's all these other princes called addictions. If you can dethrone King's stomach and make God be the, 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 the king on the throne, you're also able to defeat all these other little addictions on the side. Isn't that crazy? And so you're dethroning everything, and you're making God king of your life. And so fasting is a great way um, to do that. But make sure that there are no God substitutes in your life. That is what John, that is how John ends this whole letter after everything we've talked about. We talked about God is love, God is life, and then by the way, keep yourselves from the God substitutes. Band, you can come up. So we're answering that question, are you sure? And the title I gave was, you can know. So how do you know if you're born of God? The answer is simple and beautiful. You know because Christ has revealed himself to you. You know because you believe who Jesus is, truly God, truly man. You know because you believe, you just know it, you believe it. You know that he knows you, that he forgives you and purifies you. You know because you believe that you are saved forever. And you can know because of the evidence of your life. That's going to be the proof. It's not what determines whether you're saved, but it'll be the proof that you are saved by the love you have for God, the love you have for God's children, and the obedience that you have for God's laws. And what do you get? You get the knowledge that the enemy has no hold on you. You get the confidence that your prayers are heard and answered. And you get the assurance of eternal life right here and right now. So hey, told you at the beginning, you can know. Hopefully, now you know. Let's pray. With all heads bowed, the question I would have for you is like, is there still any doubt, any ounce of doubt whatsoever in you that you could leave this morning knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt, knowing and start growing in your faith, and start, start growing in intimacy with God and developing that relationship, but that you can leave this place knowing 
And I want to give you an opportunity after the service. We're going to have uh, Pastor Greg and his team right at the cross on uh, my left, your right. And you can uh, come and we can help you and lead you on this journey. But I believe that the Holy Spirit has already been convicting us. And I believe that even in this room, there may have been some people that weren't born of God, but they were as they heard the word be declared. And you now believe. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There is not one ounce of doubt in you. But if there is, take the opportunity now. And we want to pray with you and for you. So Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for the great assurance that you gave us. Lord, you, I mean, you are truly the one that has orchestrated everything from the beginning. We can only love you because you loved us first. You came. You're the one that came down. It was not our attempt to come to you. You came to us. You have always been on the forefront. You are the hero of each one of our stories. And so we just look to you right now, and all we can say is, is thank you as you reveal yourself to us. Lord, all, all we can do is just simply believe it and receive it, God. And we do, Lord, right now. As we think about this season and the fact that you came down from heaven, that you left your throne to, to be born in a manger, Jesus. When I think about that, like what gift can we offer you but the whole of ourselves, our whole lives, our whole, our whole soul? So we give ourselves to you right now. Thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of your son. Thank you for coming down from earth and saving us, Lord, when we were lost, but lost no more as we put our trust in you every day of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the great assurance that you are placing in our hearts right now. Let it continue, this, this, um, this uh, uh, seed that has been planted, Lord. Let it not be taken away by anything, but let it deep, dig deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.